0: Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae, proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland, on News Talk.
1: Now, in the heart of Yellowstone National Park, which, by the way, is a stunning place to go—you must go once before you die—it's unbelievable. In this amazing national park, there is a subtle dance between predator and prey. The predator, in this case, is uh, the wolf, and at the very core of its behaviour could be an interloper. A tiny parasite called Toxoplasma gondii. It's an interesting story, lots of questions still abound, but uh, let's hear from Kira Cassie. She's a leading research biologist from the Yellowstone Wolf Project. She's delved deep into the mysteries of this parasite, Toxoplasma gondii, and its staggering effects on wolves, cats, and humans. Welcome to the program, Kira. Thanks
0: um, for having me. This
1: is, this is one of those. Uh, I guess it's one of the T. Gondii is one of those stories that every time I hear it, my mind is blown by it. But um, but there's lots of controversy around what we actually know. So let's start off by talking about the parasite, please, mm-hmm. and its life cycle within the gut of a cat.
0: Yeah. So Toxoplasma gondii is really common. You can find it throughout the entire globe on every single continent, and it can infect nearly everything, any warm-blooded animal, mammals, birds, but it requires a feline host to complete its life cycle. So at some point, it has to get back into the digestive system of some kind of cat, whether it's a domestic cat or a bobcat or a mountain lion or a jaguar or an African lion. It has to
1: be some sort of a feline.
0: Yes, exactly. But those intermediate hosts to get back to that cat system can be pretty much anything, including humans, domestic animals, um, and wild animals. And that's what we found in Yellowstone. So we knew that there was likely Toxoplasma gondii in Yellowstone, and there are quite a lot of mountain lions in certain parts of the park that overlap with the wolf uh, territories. And what the parasite does is that when it infects an intermediate host, so anything besides those felines, it can form these cysts in the brain that will start to impact hormones <clears throat> that can change that host's behavior. And it's pretty advantageous for the parasite when that behavior includes things like taking greater risks. So if you imagine a mouse getting accidentally getting infected with toxo, they might start walking around in the middle of the day, they might not stay hidden, they might go wandering in the, out in the open, and that would cause them to be more likely to be killed and eaten by a cat. And in that scenario, the parasite has now made it back into the digestive system of a cat, and it has completed its life cycle, it can sexually reproduce, and then the whole thing starts over again. The cats start shedding uh, the oocysts, which are a little kind of one life stage of that uh, parasite, and then other things start to get infected. So that behavior change that is caused by the cysts in the brain is something that this parasite has evolved to do uh, to try and make it back (laughs) into the system of a cat. But...
1: yeah. which which is uh, which is spectacular and it sounds machiavellian of course there's no agency of this particular parasite it's not thinking about what it's mm-hmm. doing but uh, and and um, although um although it may sound like it and it, depending on who the the storyteller is at the time this may uh, go up in more drama or down um mm-hmm. the the parasite itself um is, is not directing or controlling this mouse uh, when they're infected. It's just evolved in a way that uh, that can affect the mouse to, to make it take more risks. And that is really useful because when that happens, the mouse is then, as you say, eaten by the, ma- the, the cat, the cat gets infected and, and that's the life cycle. So wh- while it sounds like a, a really cunning plan from the <laughs> parasite's point of view, it's just a, it's a matter of evolution. It's fascinating nonetheless.
0: Yeah, it's a really successful evolutionary um, track that it's been on, and it because it can infect anything, and throughout the world, there are enough large felids, you know, tigers and lions, that pretty much everything's on the menu, including huh. humans in some places, and even dogs or wolves in places where there used to be really large cats, like saber tooth cats, not that long ago, you know, 10,000 years ago. And so pretty much everything's on the cat menu uh, to for a parasite to have evolved to use cats as their method of, you know, uh, getting through the entire system or being successful is a pretty good call.
1: (laughs) But but. when we talk about humans and the behavior of humans
0: mm-hmm.
1: there, there has been some research that sort of hinted towards the idea that humans may also take more risks when infected t Gondii. now i haven't covered this story in a number of years has that moved at all on the dial or is it still pretty sketchy that the, any evidence that su- suggests that if you're infected by this parasite as, as anyone might be that you're more likely to take risks
0: the best human studies have just been correlations because no one is taking humans in a laboratory and experimentally infecting them and controlling for all of the other things that might be influencing behavior. And humans are just incredibly complex creatures behaviorally and decision-making wise. There are all kinds of things, past experiences, current um, you know, health or fitness or whatever it might be, we can't control for all of that, and the people who are studying uh, other humans. But,
1: but in yeah, but in, in terms of those correlations, are, are those strong correlations? Are they big, uh, big number studies?
0: Those correlations kind of run the gamut from not finding anything to moderate correlations to fairly right. strong in some cases. There was a a study that came out recently showing a correlation between toxo infection in humans and. Uh, like entrepreneurship. Uh, So starting a (laughs) a new business, and that would be, you know, you can kind of understand how that would count as risk taking behavior or for sure, group of people that would be more um, embracing of some kind of risky decision. And that might be because those parasite, the parasite cysts that have formed have tweaked the hormones a little bit. And Those people are getting a little bit of a dopamine hit for doing something that would normally be pretty stressful. Um, But, you know, there's personality wise, humans have such a wide range. There are uh, people who are shy or gregarious. And I don't think this parasite isn't going to change someone from being Hmm. extremely shy to all of a sudden starting their own business or, you know, running for president or something. <laughs> Otherwise like they'd
1: be selling it, they'd be selling it in bottles exactly. in a pharmacy, right? Um, so so let's move to one of my favorite places in the world, Yellowstone Park, and your work with wolves. So how does this involve the wolves and what sort of behavior changes are you seeing uh, in your research?
0: Yeah, in Yellowstone, we are able to see the wolves pretty often, which is kind of rare. So it's the best place in the world to see wild wolves. That means that we're able to watch them really often and get really interesting and detailed behavioral observations. And sometimes we're able to watch wolves throughout their entire life uh, for years and years. And so in combination with having these blood samples that we could test for toxo, seeing them so often and having kind of like personality or behavioral measures on each of them, we thought that this might be an interesting place to test whether... The parasite has an effect on behavior in a wild animal. Most of the studies in the past have been done on uh, laboratory species, so mice and rodents, mice and rats and other rodents, but there's only been one other study in the wild looking at behavior, and that was on hyenas just a couple of years ago. And so, kind of reading their study, trying to figure out what kind of parallels we might be able to ask with wolves in Yellowstone. We knew that um, we could start to try and figure out what would count as risky. So things that a wolf might do that would count as something that would be stressful normally, but maybe an infected one is seeing that as uh, you know, something that they would prefer to do. And so we came up with this list of risky behaviors that included dispersing from their home pack. That's a pretty dangerous thing that a wolf might choose to do because they're coming yeah. out on their own. Becoming a pack leader, which, of course, brings in a lot of kind of personality and being able to interact with other wolves. And then also getting near the road or getting near people. all Again, a really dangerous thing that a wolf might choose to do. We tested a, over 250 wolves for Toxo, Toxo to see and then looked to see what they did for the rest of their life, whether they hmm. exhibited those risk-taking behaviors or not. And we did find that the ones that were infected were 12 times more likely than uninfected ones to disperse. and 12 times? 12 times more likely, yeah. And they were oh. also 46 times more likely to become a pack leader, which kind of blew my mind how strong that effect was. Um... And we were able to control for things like sex and age, the amount of time that we were monitoring them, where the wolves lived, and so there were a handful of other factors that affected that decision. But when we controlled for those things, toxo was still um, a, a very strong effect on that decision.
1: How many wolves are we talking? Uh, Is only a couple of hundred in Yellowstone, right?
0: There are currently about 140. Uh, that's our fall count right, right now, but. We've been studying them or other people have been studying them at least since 1995 when they were reintroduced. And so every year we put out somewhere between 15 and 25 radio callers. And each time we do that, we take a blood sample. So we've had somewhere around uh, 10 to 15, maybe 20 in some years, uh, samples of blood each year for the last almost 30 years.
1: So that's great data. So um, that that is a, a really interesting correlation. Um, I'm wondering how you feel about that data, and do you feel it's indicative of anything? It certainly sounds like it's worth exploring more. What about these cysts on the brain? Can you, um, when these wolves die, can you uh, do? Uh, what is it called? A necropsy, right? With an with an animal. Can you do a necropsy on a wolf and, mm-hmm. um, and look at uh, to see if these cysts are in that area of the brain that, that's associated with risk taking?
0: Um, it might be possible. I, I'm, you know, I do some of the necropsies <laughs> when the wolves die to try and figure out how they die. But generally, it's skinning out a wolf and seeing bite marks from other packs, and that's how they die, or being kicked by something. So a big bruised area. When it comes down to more like a disease or a pathology, we do send those samples into a lab. And so it might be possible uh, to take the skull and the brain samples and send it into a lab and they will be able to look through a microscope. The, these cysts are very tiny. I don't think that we'd be able to just see them with the right. good eye. And so it's possible someone would be able to look to see where exactly those are found.
1: Be- because um, obviously... Different animals um, have different um, shaped brains. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no surprise there. Uh, so um, the the way cysts or where they might appear in a mouse may not uh, appear in the same place for a human. Um, I, I, I guess the same would be true of a wolf. So it'd be really interesting to see if that was the finding. What are the next steps for your research? Because that sounds really interesting. Yeah.
0: Some of our next steps. So now that we've found that the infection influences behavior, we want to know if it will actually then manifest in vital rates. So things like if wolves are infected, do they have higher survival rates? Um, My kind of initial thought is just looking at it without analyzing the data, but just uh, being around here for so many years. My thought is that it probably if anything, will decrease survival. Wolves already live in a pretty risky... They hardly ever die of old age. They die fairly young, generally through some dramatic thing that happened, either running into another pack or being kicked or running into humans, You know, being hit by a car or hunted. And so they don't really have a whole lot of room to take more risks in their lives. And so if you have an animal that is uh, taking greater risks than it otherwise normally would it's probable that their mortality rate is just going to go up
1: that makes sense um you said uh that the the infection is causing the behavior are you are you that do you feel that strongly about it because um you know the 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 question as to whether or not the the infection is causing the behavior in mice seems to be fairly set that would be pretty stark finding to find that that's the case in dogs or or wolves no
0: yeah i do think it um You know, those are are fairly strong words that I was using, but we did account for as many things as we could. We only focused on Mm. the time of a wolf's life that uh, we knew its infection rate. And so we uh, kind of ignored the time or censored the time where we didn't know if it was infected or not. And right The experimental studies on rodents are pretty reliable. I think that the more complex brains that you get, as you mentioned, you know, humans have very complex brains. And it may be why we don't see quite as strong of a pattern there with infection and humans, just because the cysts might form in a slightly different place. And it it influences people slightly differently, um, even if they're, you know, got infected at the same time or whatever it might be. And it would be kind of a surprise because this parasite is so successful and it has kind of like a general approach to influencing a species um, throughout its evolutionary history. It would be a little bit surprising if it treated the wolf brain very differently from a rodent brain. It's kind of, you know, a shotgun approach a little bit, um, and it's just been successful. And I think that it... Yeah, it would just be a little bit surprising if it was very different in a wolf brain compared to a rodent brain.
1: Well, I think it's a fascinating story. Looking forward to hearing about uh, further research. Kira Cassidy from Yellowstone National Park, thank you so much for your time.
0: Thanks for having me. Future Proof Extra
1: with Jonathan McRae,
0: proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on
1: News Talk.